Hello, and welcome once again. As we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament, we're working through it one chapter at a time, and uh, we're in John chapter 20 this week. We've done Matthew, we've done Mark, we skipped over Luke because I'm coming back to Luke. We're going to finish John, then we're going to do Luke and Acts together because they were written by the same guy. They flow rather nicely, and then we'll pick it up from there on. We are uh, a year and ten weeks into our five-year plan to get through the New Testament. So, we're doing well. Then after that, 15 years, we'll have the Old Testament knocked out. One chapter at a time. And anybody that's here with me for the entire 20 years will get a certificate. <laughs> hold, you can hold me to it. You catch me 18 and a half years from now, whatever it takes. When the, well, then, see, the plan is to, my, when I prayed about this, I, well, I had a 20-year thing, and then, and then I thought, and if I could do it another 20-year run, that would be pretty good. So if you're, and then you, if, you, if you stay for the next 20 years, I'll, I'll, I'll gold plate it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did some math. That wasn't good. <laughs> Okay, see, I only had 25 minutes, too, and I'm messing around. All right, now, um, we're working through together, and we've, John um, has a different take than Matthew and Mark and even Luke, as you'll see on the events. And and, uh, John primarily uh, painted this picture in several ways of of the life uh, and the ministry of Jesus, um, of, of life and death, of light and darkness, of, of grace and law. And uh, he contrasted it throughout. And we've been looking at the, the different aspects and we saw how, how Jesus ministered to people, how he presented the, the message of salvation to everyone he met. And yet he, he knew that people needed to hear different things. Um, and, you know, I think about how he approached Nicodemus and to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, Jesus had to point up to the fact that the law wasn't enough and that they weren't going to make it by the law and that they stood condemned by the law. And yet he, he extended salvation to Nicodemus. And uh, as we saw at the end of the last chapter, Nicodemus comes and helps Joseph of Arimathea with, his, with the body of Christ and getting in the tomb. And my, my hope is that that is a sign that, that uh, Nicodemus heard Jesus and knew what he needed to do in order to find life. But we also saw, and this is way back in John 3, then in John 4, the Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus' approach with her is completely different, although the message of salvation stays the same, because she already knew she couldn't keep the law, that she was a mess. And yet what she had to know was that she had great value in God's eyes, and she needed to see that part of what was happening so that she could get saved. And see, Jesus works throughout this book, and John, John captures it in, in those terms. And so if you're looking for it, you see it all the time. Life and death, light and darkness, law, grace. When John 18 and 19, the, the, the thing that we saw most for most of those scriptures, those, those verses, those chapters, was darkness. And we saw how... Uh, People were responding to the events of the cross and, and Jesus was betrayed and then his friends left and the religious leaders who were supposed to be taking care of and, 
and upholding the truth of God turned into this murderous rage against him. And the crowd who had welcomed him turned against Jesus. And, and, and just the darkness prevails over that whole sort of situation. And yet at the end of 19, we, again, we see the light begin to come back through. Even, even before Jesus dies, he's, he's there on the cross and yet he's, he's caring about people. He, he takes care of his mother and his friend. In the process, we see in one of the other gospel accounts how he actually ministers to a criminal who's standing by. We, we see him moving out. He forgives those who have put him there. Uh, this is a, a, an amazing contrast to the darkness as the light begins to demonstrate itself. And, then, and yet we left the end of chapter 19 where Jesus completed his ministry and he died. And they'd taken the body and they put it in a tomb. And it's... That was where chapter 19 finished. And I think um, for it to have the impact that it must have had to the people there, imagine what that series of events must have been like and how his disciples must have been feeling and, and how just, you know, nothing made sense. The, 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 year, the three years that they'd spent with Jesus, and even though he tried to prepare them for this time, they, they couldn't hear it, they hadn't heard, and they hadn't understood and and now this this one whom had he led them and he'd he'd loved them and they they were together he was gone and they didn't understand and and they had they'd run away and they they were dealing with all those issues as well and and now he's dead and he's in the tomb and and it seems as though darkness has prevailed and won and and yet. We know that's not the case. And as we move into John 20, we begin to, get, we begin to see uh, the, the neat now contrast from darkness to light. And so let's look at John chapter 20 together. Um, it's there in your notes, or you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. There's Bibles on the, on the rows, and we can, uh, we can read that. I got my new glasses, and I can actually see... <laughs> I've been making this stuff up for years. <laughs> it says what? <laughs> no. Okay. Verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Let me, let me pause there just to go back to my little pet theory that I know makes everybody a little crazy. But remember I said to you that, that church history forever, and they, they, they probably got it right, says that this other disciple is actually John, because he, and he's writing about himself. But... It, it could it could be Lazarus, and and the reason I say that is he understood because he'd had the same thing happen to him, and if you look at every account where where that term is used, it doesn't come into play until after 
John 11, where, where Lazarus is actually identified as one that Jesus loves. Every time it comes up, it's, it's, uh, it just always kind of strikes me that, okay, church history says this, John. I can, I'm good with it. I'm not going to fight church history. But it could be Lazarus. <laughs> so now every time you see it, you'll think of it. Well, that could have been Lazarus. And, and uh, uh, it could have been. And apparently he's faster than Peter. So... But it makes sense, doesn't it? See, the reason I often think about that, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it with one other time, but, and then we'll quit thinking about it. I probably told you, but I think it's fascinating. Hang on. Because at the end of the book, so you have Lazarus who's unique in history because he was dead and he, he was raised back to life, right? Other than Jesus. I mean, Jesus is different. It's a whole, but, but there's something about it. And this thing happens at the end of the book in John 21. This is just something to think about. Verse 20 says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And, and it, it seems like that might fit Lazarus and what has happened to Lazarus. That has nothing to do with the rest of the study. I just keep thinking about it. and It caught my mind again. So, back on task. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed him his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which, not are, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And blessed be the word of the Lord. A couple other neat things just before we, we hop into this, things to think about. And then I'll take a few minutes as we sort of look through the chapters. Um, the disciples are meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jews. Sometimes people um, try and doubt the resurrection of Jesus. And, and they said things like I told you last week, that he didn't really die, he fainted or he swooned or whatever. Um, something happens, this is what you need to think about. Something happens to the disciples that they actually ultimately leave, leave the locked, closed doors and they get out and start preaching the good news of Christ again. Something happens. What got them out of there? What caused them not to be fearful anymore? They saw the resurrected Jesus. They knew what had happened. And they, they, were, they were willing to go and do whatever it takes after that point. But at this point, they're hiding behind locked doors because they're fearful. They haven't quite figured out what it all means. And yet they see Jesus. And that's what gets them back out again. So when people begin to doubt that, you know, it's, you always, that's a question asked. Well, what made the disciples go back out? How did they turn from people that were afraid and wouldn't leave the closed rooms to people that boldly stood out in the marketplace once again and started the church and got things rolling? That's something to think about. And then the other thing is this. Um, though the doors were locked, it says Jesus came and stood among them. Now, I get a kick out of that. So, so apparently he just kind of... Walked into the room. Now, some people think that in, in, and, and this is just something to consider. When, because we have this, this cultural thing where we begin to think of spiritual things as being like ghosts and less real. So we have this thing we have to think about. That's, that, that somehow the spirit realm is less real than this realm. And so we kind of think of them like Casper. And, and now we think Jesus is like less real and so he can go through walls because he's less real than everything else and just like we saw in the cartoons, he can move through there. But see, that's backwards because what I've got to tell you is this, and, and you need to grasp this concept, what's supernatural, the spiritual is more real than this. So what happens is, is Jesus' resurrected body is more real than this, than this is, so he can walk right through it because he's more real than that is. He can walk through a wall because he's more real than the wall, not less real. And, and I think it's important to begin to think in those terms because otherwise we start thinking of, of the spiritual realm as being that sort of Casper less real thing. And it's not. It's more real than this. And, and you've got to make that switch um, in, your, in your thinking or else you miss a lot of stuff. It's like the only thing I can compare it to it runs salt. Have you ever seen a really thick fog? And it looks so thick that it looks like it's a solid mass. And yet, when you get to it, you walk right through it. Do you know why? You're more real than the fog. You go right through it. That's what happened in the, in, in the resurrection. He's, the, he's now more real than, than we understand. So, walls mean nothing. So, and neither does time and space, because he can be everywhere at once. And my understanding is, you do, we get to experience that too. Which ought to be pretty cool. Don't you think? I don't know where I just went, but it was. <laughs> the, but the sound effect was good, wasn't it? Back. And wouldn't it be cool if I could do that and come back with that guy like in commercial with a guy from Peru on his back? You seen that one? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. 
It's a Comcast commercial, and it gets so sped up on the thing, he, whoop, he runs out. Never mind. I digress. So, during, during the ministry then of Jesus, as recorded by John, like I said, he, Jesus had, had taught and spoken often about light and darkness, life and death, grace and law. And, and uh, as we look at this, John 20, two things I want you to remember that we've heard from Jesus already. John 11:25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and we saw in chapters 18 and 19, they said darkness had shown itself in the activities of the people uh, and the way that they responded to the events of the cross and the crowd had turned against Jesus. His friends had run away. The people, as I said, who were supposed to be protectors and defenders of God's truth moved into this murderous rage. Uh, um, we, we saw the um, pilot who found nothing in the claims and who could have uh, done the right thing, cave into the crowd in the darkness and, and order Jesus crucified. Um, and yet, like I said, at the end of 19, we see the light breaking in as Jesus takes care of his mother, his friend. He, he, he forgives those that have done this thing. And, and he uh, even ministers to the criminal on the cross. But now in, in chapter 20, we see the ultimate evidence of who he was and the ultimate proof of all that he taught. Jesus defeats death and he's resurrected from the dead. And so his life and his ministry ultimately culminate there in the end in revealing the darkness and depravity of man. He, he demonstrates, as he moves through that, our need for a Savior because that's the pervasive attitude is dark. And, and, and he, he clearly showed that, that we can't make it, that, that this is the hardness of men's heart. And yet, the death and resurrection reveal then God's divine mercy and grace and love. And all these things are being pictured again by John in this, in this contrast of, of dark and light. Paul writes this about the resurrection in Romans 1, 4. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This pivotal event proves and backs up everything that Jesus said about Himself and everything that He taught and, and proves our need for a Savior and then gives us an answer to our need in what He's done makes it available to all of us. We, we read in those first nine verses the our sort of eyewitness accounts of what took place by, by Mary and Peter and John. And, and at first, they're not even sure what the empty tomb means. And in John 29, after all this stuff, it says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They, they hadn't quite figured it out yet. Remember, the huge paradigm they were fighting in that that you know the disciples were all the time thinking that Jesus was about to rise up politically and reestablish the Davidic kingdom and, and would conquer the, the Roman Empire and everything else that had taken away all that the Jewish people had lost and restore them to their place. And uh, all the time that he was ministering and the disciples saw the power happening and, and even moved in the power, they were convinced that this was going to be the, the reinstatement of the kingdom, and yet they, they missed this part of the prophetic stream that had to go first. Because Jesus will, in fact, do that when he comes back. But, but first, he had to take care of sin. 
And, and that's what he's, he's done at the cross. But they, they hadn't connected the dots yet. And even into the book of Acts, and we'll see this, because I, and, and I, we, we have so much trouble shifting our own paradigms that we would be just like that. But, but I love it in, in the book of Acts, after all this discussion and all the fighting of the disciples, who would be the greatest? What's going to happen? What about your kingdom? Jesus dies. He's resurrected. He, he comes to them in, the, in this between time before, since the resurrection and before the Pentecost in that 50 days. And he shows up and the disciples ask him this question. Are you at this time going to establish the kingdom? They're still thinking it's... And they still haven't... So they're connecting it, but slowly. Okay? And, and yet what's happened is about to become more and more clear to them. In John 20, in verses 10 through 18, first thing that happens is that Mary encounters Jesus. I love their encounter. It's a great description. And she first thinks he's the gardener. And, and so, you know, apparently, because I told you, he's more real now than he was. Not that he wasn't real, but, and she's, she doesn't recognize him until, until what happens? He says her name and she knows immediately. You know, Jesus knows your name. You ever think about that? Knows everything about you, everything you're going through, cares about every hurt that you have and knows you by name. Calls her name and she responds. And then in 19 through 23, um, the disciples, ten of them, uh, they all get to see Jesus. And they're, they're, they're overjoyed. Thomas isn't there. And they tell Thomas what's happened. And Thomas says, not good enough that you guys saw it. Unless I touch him, get my hands on him, feel everything, I won't believe. And, and verses 24 through 29, one week later, Thomas gets his uh, doubt answered as Jesus comes and Thomas realizes who he is. And his statement is pivotal in John 20, 28, because when he says, my Lord and my God, it's a picture of skeptical and doubtful people. When confronted by the evidence of the resurrection, um, he, he ultimately announces that indeed this is God in the flesh. And, and his statement is a, is a personal testimony of one who has been there and now understands what's happened. And it ties back into the first chapter with verses like John 1, 4 that says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 1, 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory... Oh, I repeated that verse twice. Pardon me. I was really getting into it, too. I have to go back. Because the other verse is John 1.18. It's in my notes wrong. And it's, I only have myself to blame. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side and has made Him known. So, so the resurrection of, of Jesus then is proof that he has overcome the power of death and darkness. And now to all of us who believe, not based on our own, what our own eyes have seen, but based on the evidence presented to us in the scripture and on the eyewitness testimonies of those who were there, um, we receive a special blessing when we believe. John twenty twenty nine says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that chapter ends up with this powerful statement. Because he lives, 
we also will live with him forever. Let me read it to you exactly. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Because he lives. We believe in him. We now live with him forever. And that's the the heart of what's taking place there in John chapter 20. Next week we'll finish up the Gospel of John. And there's a neat account, one of my favorites, where, where Jesus comes and reinstates Peter in a great way after Peter's betrayal. Remember three times Peter denied him and three times Jesus will reinstate him so it's all gone. And then when we get to the book of Acts, you'll see how powerfully Peter is used in the ministry as the church starts. So we'll end it there. Uh, If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. If you're up in Williston, hi guys. Good to see everybody in Williston. Uh, And uh, Scott and Pammy and and Dave and Cindy, they'll pray for you there if you need prayer. I'm going to pray for the group here. If you're watching on the internet and you need anything, email us, write us, call us. We'll do what we can for you. But go ahead and pass me up your prayer requests and I will pray for you here.